audio. This is now the 20th day I have fallen on this fucking move. And now I'm gonna be thinking about this for the next two days until I wake up, leave my house at 4.30 in the morning and do the same moves I've done a million times to fall on the same move again. And then rinse and repeat. Hey y'all, I'm Ryan Devlin and welcome to the Struggle Climbing Show, where I talk with elite climbers about their struggles and breakthroughs in training, nutrition, tactics, and mental game, and also what they're passionate about outside of their own climbing. Now today we're chalking up for a chat with one of the most accomplished and prolific boulderers the world has ever seen, and who seems to just be getting warmed up. I'm talking about Drew Ruana. Holy smokes. You know, Drew's kind of been flying under the radar lately, not spraying all that much. He prefers it that way. But I am going to spray on his behalf because this guy works hard and has perhaps the most impressively long list of boulder sends that I have ever come across. But first, a little bit of background on the guy. Drew started climbing at Smith Rock at the age of three, and it didn't take him long for him to climb that place out. His focus in those earlier years was on sport climbing, and the kid was a crusher. He sent Just Do It, the first 14C, 8C+, in the U.S. at 15 years old. He then put up the hardest route at Smith with the FA of 14D, or 9A, Assassin. And here at my home crag of the Red River Gorge, Drew went on a bit of a tear, including getting an on-site of the ultra-classic 14A, Omaha Beach. Drew also dominated as a youth on the comp climbing circuit, taking first place twice at U.S. Youth Nationals in sport and once in bouldering. Now, when he burned out on that scene, something that he opens up a little bit about in our chat here today, Drew developed a passion for sending and developing the hardest rigs that he could find. Okay, are you ready to have your mind blown? At the time of our interview, Drew had sent 90 V14s, or Font 8B+, 37 V15s, Font 8C, and 10 V16 8C+. So to put that in a little bit of perspective, you guys, I believe Daniel Woods has sent 8 V16s, and Will Bosey has sent 2. Drew has 10. Maybe more, in fact. He, he ticks things too fast, and it's hard to get this guy to spray. Now, obviously, with that many check marks, I just can't name them all, but a few worth noting are the first ascents of Maxwell's Demon, and then the sit for that, so V14 and V16, respectively, with the latter being Colorado's first V16, or Font 8C+. Drew also made the second ascent of Box Therapy, which was V16 at the time, but has recently been proposed as V15 by Brooke Rabitou, and Drew shares his opinion on that downgrade along with that of Sleepwalker in a bonus episode that we have available to members right now. I'll tell you more about that a little bit later, but where was I? Ah yes, blowing my mind with these stats. Oh yeah, how about this? In just a single day, y'all, last October, Drew FA'd two V14s, one V15, and one V16. In a day. Drew has accomplished so much in so little time while also being a full-time student. It is outrageous to think about what the future holds for this guy. This conversation is thoughtful, it's full of surprises, and it is also full of incredibly useful insights for climbers of all levels. Let's go. All right, let me take a quick minute here to share what's been going on as I inch my way closer to the chains of my first 513A project that uh, some of you have probably been following along with. Thank you for the support. So the last few sessions out, I have matched my high point, which is just a couple moves from the chains. I'm so close yet so far away. But fortunately, the weather is cooperating, and it looks like I'm going to get a couple more good days on it. And at this point, 
I'm essentially climbing a 12D or, or maybe even a, like a soft 13A, to be honest, three times a session from the ground up to where I'm popping off, which is by far the most fit that I've ever been. So I'm really psyched on that, even though I haven't quite clipped those chains yet. I just need a little bit more oomph, you guys, to get it done. And to help me get there, I am dipping back into some of my favorite protocols in the Crimped app, which is a program that you all probably know I've been using for years now. I'm really psyched that they're aboard as a sponsor because I really believe in what they're doing. They break their workouts into energy systems, it makes it really easy. So when I can't get out to the project, I pull a workout from the power endurance section or the endurance sections in Crimped, which are also conveniently highlighted in a struggle climbing show playlist that's featured right there on the main page. How rad is that? It's great. It just takes all the guesswork out of it. You can check out tons of the workouts for zero cost with the free version of the Crimped app, which is what I used for a long time. But then when you're ready to level up, you can add Crimped Plus, which will allow you to add training plans. So you can do like a six-week training plan for endurance or whatever it is that you want to work on. I've been doing that for a while, and I really love all the features in Crimped Plus. It is a coach in your pocket, and I just cannot think of an easier way to dial in your training as the year kicks off. I'm far more consistent with my training when I'm programming everything in Crimped, and I'm getting more done in less time, which is awesome. It gives me more time to do things like this, like record podcasts for you. So look, hit that link in your notes or just search Crimped in your app store to download it for free and take your training to new heights. Oh man, I don't know about you guys, but I went a little bit nuts over the holidays with the treats and the drinks and all of the holiday food and all of that, as one should, by the way. And, and I hope you were in that boat too. I hope you had a great holiday. But man, I am feeling ready to get back to a healthier routine. And the easiest way that I'm doing that right now, y'all, is just by starting every morning with Fizzy Vantage Organic Greens. You guys know I love Fizzy Vantage. They make amazing stuff for us climbers. First and foremost, this greens drink is just delicious, you guys. In my experience, most green drinks are not, so they've already nailed that part down. But what's in it? Well, they've got 15 organic greens as well as pro and postbiotics in there. They've got 2 grams of fiber, 3 grams of protein, and all the vitamins and nutrients. I just shake it into some cold water every morning. It's the first thing that I put in my body, and I know that I'm doing myself a solid. Studies show that one serving a day will support immune function, a digestive health, increase energy and focus, and a litany of other benefits. And I should also mention that it's way more affordable than the other greens drink that you're probably hearing about out there on podcasts. Check it out to start your day and your year off right, along with everything else that Fizzy Vantage is making to help us climbers level up our training and performance. I love these guys. Hit that link in your show notes. You can score yourself 15% off with code STRUGGLE15 at checkout over at fizzyvantage.com. I'm telling you, you're going to feel the difference. Swing by fizzyvantage.com to check it out. And lastly, just a huge thanks to all you patrons and subscribers out there. So many new members over the past month. Thank you, thank you for supporting me as I'm working really hard to put these shows out along with more than 40 hours of bonus content, including a banger bonus episode with Drew that I'm going to tell you more about at the end here. All right, let's get ready to send Colorado with Drew Ruana. Where are you at right now? Is this your house? Yeah, I'm in my room. Just grinding on homework. Classic. Yeah, cool. Awesome, yeah. Stoked to chat. 
feel like I've been talking about doing this one for a while and finally worked out. I feel like it's been like a year since we maybe first connected. Yeah. Maybe it was not quite a year because I think you had last October was like the most insane month of rock climbing <laughs> in your life and probably maybe ever in bouldering history. I feel like you did a handful of V14s, V15s, and a V16 or something like that all last October. Is that, am I remembering that correctly? Yeah. And then, I mean, that was like the best month I'd ever had until like the summer. I like didn't even really post about it this go around, but I want to say I did, I have it written down somewhere, but I think I did eight V15s and like 2014s and a 16 in two months or something like that. It was kind of getting ridiculous to a point. It was like three a week, like consistently. I was like, oh, wow, I wonder how long this is going to go on for. Holy shit, dude. That's a mega. I mean, when something, because that's like pretty newsworthy, right? That's kind of some groundbreaking volume of super hard, high quality ascents. And just, you just decided not to even talk about it. Yeah, I used to post everything and... At least now, like my relationship with social media is starting to change a bit. I personally don't particularly enjoy it the same way I used to. And now at least I'm trying to like keep my cards a little closer to my chest sort of thing and, you know, make better content. That's not just like, here's uncut from my phone that's set up in my shoe. You know, actually tell a story sort of thing. And that's part of the reason why. So. I love the stuff that you've been putting out on YouTube. And obviously it does take much more work and thought and time to put together <clears throat> content with a story and that shows effort and failure and, you know, kind of the arc that a lot of your videos have, have been able to, to show uh, recently. But then we don't get to know everything that you're doing. But I guess maybe that's what you like, huh? I mean, it's not like I'm like, oh, no, like you guys don't get to know. Like I post every, like all my sends on like the apps that I log my stuff on, like it's there, you know, you just got to know where to look sort of thing. But yeah, it kind of makes it easier too. When, for example, I haven't sent anything like meaningful in the last two months, done some problems, but nothing like, you can see my list back there. Nothing off that has gone in like the past like two, two and a half months. And so I'm kind of like, yeah, not new content right now. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm just trying harder boulders and like more longer term projects that it's just going to take a while to get them done. So I can't just like continually roll out content. So it kind of gives you like a backlog of stuff. But oh yeah, I haven't posted this thing yet. Like sure, might as well throw it up. Sick, dude. Well, I can't wait to dive into to all of this. You're one of the most prolific climbers out there and you haven't even been at it for that long, at least in the Colorado chapter of your bouldering career here. So yeah, man, I'm super psyched. I, I know you got a lot going on. So you, you said you were crushing through some schoolwork. How's the semester going? It's never been like the school itself. That's hard. It's you know doing everything on top of school. I try and climb five to six days a week, depending on the week out in the mountains. And most of the stuff I'm trying is like an hour-ish drive. Some of the stuff is like an hour hike on top of that maybe even longer. So you're looking at, you know, five-ish hours round trip that's just wasted. Like you're not even climbing at that time. And so it definitely takes a lot more time out of my week that makes it kind of hard to like stay on top of everything school-wise. And so if I wasn't climbing as much or if I was just like only training and not going outside, I could probably take like two more classes and be fine. But right. already a full workload, 14 credits or something, all major CS classes. And then... Climbing, I've been working on a couple books 
as well and some of this content stuff we were talking about. And yeah, everything put together starts getting kind of overwhelming. Make it through the week and I'm like, oh my God. Cool. Rinse and repeat. Let's rest up and do it again. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's it's an interesting dynamic because a lot of the athletes that I talk to for the show here are professional climbers as their primary objective like they're you know the the majority of their time goes into their training and their climbing and they're not holding down a full-time job or they're not holding down full-time school most recent interview that i had on the show was with eddie taylor out in colorado and and he's a full-time chemistry teacher high school chemistry teacher has a full-time job has a family and still goes out and crushes and summits everest and does these big walls and all that and so i personally took a lot away from that because i've got a job and also a podcast. And then also I'm trying to, you know, train and climb hard. So I'm, I always welcome conversations like this, where you are at the absolute tip of the spear in terms of performance as an athlete, as a climber, but you're not even spending the most of your time on that. Or how would you kind of divide up that split? How much time is climbing and how much time is academic? It changes. Last week I had midterms and a bunch of projects that were due and really couldn't climb as much as I wanted to, but I'm still like getting out after it. I don't know if it's not a constant split. I just put an effort, basically like whatever the effort needs to go into and do enough effort to like get the job done well, basically. And so, yeah, sometimes I can spend all day outside in the mountains and mom and dad don't get mad at me. Sometimes I skip class, like, but I hold myself accountable, like taking the notes and doing the work. It's not just like, oh, dude, the weather's so good. I'm going to skip class. It's like, oh, I'm going to take the notes beforehand and then skip class because the weather's good. Um, and as long as it, like, it's been working, you know, like I've gotten pretty much like over a 3.7 every single semester so far, 3.8 every semester so far. And so it's it's not broken. Might as well keep doing this basically as long as it's working. Yeah, you're making it work, man. Oh, is this your last year? No, I think I can graduate next December. I actually switched majors last year from uh, chemical engineering to computer science. Kind of funny. I did a Reddit, ask me anything. And every, like, there were so many people on there that were like, you need to switch. Like, you want to be able to, like, join the workforce and, like, get a real job. Like, you know, it's really hard to do remote chemi, but remote CS is, like, the name of the game now. So I was like, oh, yeah, maybe I'll look into it. And then I talked to my advisor like the next day and I switched the day after. And uh, I mean, it's only been a year, just under a year since then. And I'm so happy I did that. Hey, chalk one up for the internet. Usually it's not just trolls and terrible people out there. You, they actually have positively affected the trajectory of your career. Yeah. Like I'm that one AMA, like, like some dude left a comment and then 50 people were just like, yeah, I'm seconding this. Like I work 20 hours a week, 15 hours a week. I make stacks and I go climbing whenever I want. I was like, damn, sign me up for that. Dude, I love that. That's great, man. Well, I want to dive into all that stuff too a little bit later, just kind of, you know, what your ambitions and dreams are going to be as you enter your next chapter of life because you're juggling a lot, uh, but you're also sending like crazy. You mentioned Reddit and I've, you know, kind of scanned through some of those conversations on there in preparation for this conversation. And I wouldn't say it's a common theme, but you know, you you do when you send as hard as you send and as are as prolific on the high end, you know, over a hundred V14s and as you said, some incredible months where you're just like cranking off 
V15s, V16s, it may seem to the outside observer, including some on Reddit, that there's just a sense of ease to, to what you're doing, that maybe there isn't a whole lot of struggle. So I'd like to hear it from you on, on you know, kind of what your relationship is with struggle as it pertains to a climber. Oh man, me and I struggling, we go way back. I mean, like a huge reason I'm the climber I am today is because of like how much I struggled when I was younger. Like I always had a drive to just like, you know, push myself, get it done, whatever it was. But there was one competition, I want to say it was like 2013 or so, it was Bouldering Nationals. And man, I, I had trained really hard. Like I was still young, you know, I was in youth C. But I was like, I, that was the first year I was like embracing training, you know, which I feel like a lot of 13 year olds, you go to the climbing gym and it's, I don't want to train, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to be sore, uncomfortable, push myself hard. And yeah, that year I was, at least it was like the first time. And I get to nationals, I'm in like the best shape of my life at the time. I'm still 13, but getting to finals. Right. And I was really short. Like I'm still short. I'm like five, seven. I have a minus one ape index. I'm like, the, mm -hmm. Me and my brother, he's like the same height as me. We're the tallest people in our family, you know? And yeah, so we're just like small people basically. And I get to this final climb and I still remember exact this exact climb. And it's been like 11 years later, you know? Two jug underclings, can't really see my hands. Two jug underclings, volume foot and reach over the top to this sloper. And I couldn't fucking span it. It's like, really? Are you kidding me? You know, like, brutal. Like, it's nationals, dude. There's one event a year. And I get to this and I'm literally just like, actually, it's impossible. I think the climb was probably V6. And I was climbing V11 at the wow. And I just couldn't even touch the first hold, let alone do the move. And so that for me, that struggle right there where I was like, this is what I'm going up against. I'm not, it's not even a fair competition. It's like, I'm so handicapped in this competition, basically. Screw it. I'm going to train even harder next year. And then I got screwed again the next year, but not as bad. And I got screwed again the next year, but not as bad. And it just kept going and I kept pushing myself harder and harder, just knowing that, you know, one day it's going to work out. Basically, like all the struggling that I'm going through, it'll be worth it. And then that was like the first time basically behind the scenes and then yeah the other like really pointed moment that like kind of shaped my career was why I switched to outdoor climbing like I was quite literally one hold away from making the Olympics like the first round in Hachioji I fumbled a clip mm -hmm. like three times in a row and I think I was like second high point or something on the lead climb at that point and so I get like super pumped and like I'm trying to clip this thing in my arms, just starting to do that. And then I jump for the next hole and it's a pocket and I almost stick it. And then because I was just a little too pumped from fumbling the clip, I fell. And if I stuck that pocket, I was going to, I was going to be an Olympian from the breakdown. Wow. And then, you know, fast forward to the last comp of the season. I'm in the best rope shape of my life at that point. I'm like, you know, triple lapping the nine A's at the gym and just cool, dude. I'm so fit right now. Go to last world cup best quality i'd ever had get to semis and i blew the second clip and fell and i was like dude i'm in japan right now oh shit i'm across the world for this competition and wow dude like it's gonna go down like this screw it i'm done i'm going outside and then i started climbing outside and i was like dude this is so easy compared to everything else 
And it was like basically going through years of just like failure and learning and building and failure again and learning and building. And then by the time I actually get to outside, I'm like, dude, I've gone through this already. Like now I don't have to have a specific moment that's like perfect. Like I don't have this one five minute chunk of time that everything rides on. Damn, if I split my finger open, whatever, I'll just like heal up and come back next week. And so I've kind of taken that mindset and even still it's struggling a lot out here. You know, when I post all these insane months or whatever, when I post like B14s that look easy when I do them or whatever, that doesn't show as much the like, you know, how many days I went up there, how many times I split my finger open, like how many pads I had to put on my back and slog up this fucking 45 degree hill through the snow. None of that people know about. They only see the success. And that's one of those things where like the behind the scenes struggle, it's like the more familiar you get with it and the more comfortable you get with being un uncomfortable, it just helps. Like not even just for climbing, like kind of life in general. Some of the struggles I've gone through with like a literal boulder problem. Like it doesn't matter. It's a rock, you know, but it matters so much to me. <laughs> like that sort of struggle just, it makes like other things like kind of pale in comparison. Well, I love that perspective and, and I appreciate you sharing kind of the, the long lens there because, you know, you've been climbing since you were a few years old and a hell of a history on lead sport climbing and then transitioning to boulders, obviously comps, and now just dominating kind of on your own terms outside, as you said, the, that foundation of struggle, pushing through it, and then building the resilience and the self-confidence that comes from that is maybe why somebody from the outside on Reddit or just kind of a, you know, casual observer might say, oh, you know, this guy's a freak. He's just going off and plowing through 100 V14s. But um, not only was that foundation built in the decades that have brought you to today as a climber, but also to your point, we don't often see everything that goes into what quote unquote seems like an easy climb. Yeah. And I can certainly relate to that too, certainly not on, on your level, but Oftentimes when I'm projecting the hardest thing that I've done, the send is chill. You know, I'll clip yeah. the chains and I'll be like, I, I could just do it again. You know, like some of them are a fight, but oftentimes the hardest thing ever kind of almost looks easy if I just posted that one yeah. video and not the 20 leading up to it. So that's a really great perspective, man. I appreciate you sharing it. Yeah. And I mean, kind of to your point there, like this is, I guess, like a different topic to even bring up. But what you were saying about like the one try that you sent and it feels so easy you know that's how it should be like that is literally why we do what we do why why do you want to spend 20 days just so you can fight and well, like i mean it's cool if you like make it through but like i'd say like 95 percent of the boulders i do i pull on the wall i do the first move and i know i'm going to do it that try it's like this flow state you know it feels v2 it's obviously not v2 but like the level of kind of perfection and muscle memory and all the factors coming together, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm going to crush this boulder and it's going to look easy and it's going to feel easy. And it's weird because, you know, that brings up the whole thing about like, like downgrading and, you know, it's been like a pretty hot topic lately. Um, you know, it's like, oh, it felt so easy when I did it. It's like, yeah, you tried it for a few weeks. Like it should, you should have every little bit of beta, like completely memorized, like every bit of micro beta to make this climb feel as easy pos as possible, like that should be there, you know, like it's still going to be a fight. Like you're still going to need to try hard, but 
there's a difference between trying hard and like flowing through something versus trying hard and like by the skin of your teeth somehow holding on. And I think it's like, yeah, that part of climbing the like just level of mastery that like bouldering or not bouldering projecting requires. It's like should feel easy at the end. Yeah, man. That's such a great perspective. I'm excited to kind of unpack that as we look at the different chapters that, you know, I kind of cover here on the struggle from the training, nutrition, tactics, and mental game, because to achieve that mastery and to achieve what seems easy, clicking into that flow state and just having it feel like a V2 to, to your point there, obviously a lot of factors come into play. Some of them are under our control and some of them are just flat out luck. And Sometimes when all those things align, when the Venn diagram overlaps and everything kind of aligns in the middle there, that's that like easy flow send. And I'm psyched to unpack it. And I think let's, you know, let's dive into some of our format here and I'll, I'll bring us back to some of this. Let's focus first on training. And yeah, this is, I think this might be an interesting conversation with you here because yeah, you spend actually. so much time outside. And I guess first and foremost, is there an area of training that historically has been a struggle for you? I'm going to preface this by saying I don't do anything anymore. Like, I don't climb in the gym. I don't lift. I never have hangboarded, but I don't hangboard. The only thing I do is just go out and try boulders, you know? It's one of those things where, um, like, kind of thinking about it, the level of boulders that I'm trying is a training in of itself. Like, I've been thinking about this a lot recently. I don't know if it's really translatable to lower levels. Like, there's types of training where it's like, okay, like some, somebody can do a, a pull up with 200 extra pounds. Like someone else can only do it with 50 extra pounds, but they're the same like inherent exercise, just someone's muscles and body is stronger for right. like V14 and harder boulders, which has kind of been my like MO. It's just a lot different than like the level of tension that you have to have, like the level of mind over matter. Like I'm going to, rip this hold off the wall right now, like sort of thing. It makes sense in my head. I'm trying to like get the words out, but for like a V8 climber to only be doing that outside, like you probably get better at climbing sort of thing, but I don't know if it, like you can't maintain that. Like it's not targeting your muscles the same way as like a V14 or 15 boulder is. And yeah, I've been in Colorado for the last four years, probably 95 percent of the days I go out, I'm on a V14 or harder boulder basically. And so it's that's right. the training I do now. It's just like maximal effort on really hard moves and hard boulders basically. Do you have a sense for where that might cross? If I'm understanding correctly, you're saying, you know, you get to a certain point, a certain level, and we can just look at bouldering because this is, you know, that's your wheelhouse right now. At which point training maybe in a gym or on a board or with some hangs and this kind of thing maybe is less beneficial than just getting out on the thing and doing the thing. But do you have a sense for where you were when you kind of made that switch? So it's hard to tell because I was like, I'm way physically weaker in the gym than in just a pure lifting strength sense than I was like a few years ago, even. I know if I got back into it now, oh, okay. I'd be a lot stronger. But, you know, a few years ago, I was doing sets of 15 one arms, like almost a minute front lever, grab a 45 pound plate and just easy, like static one arm sort of thing. 
Jesus. Yeah, it was like... Because you were training that? You were training weighted pull-ups? You were training those yeah. kinds of things? Like I was in the gym, you know, for... There was about a year period where, like when I was really trying to make the Olympics, where training was my full-time. Like I was spending 40 plus hours a week just in the gym, basically. And... Got it. Yeah, my body was like incredibly fine-tuned for that, you know, and for training and for comps and indoor climbing. And with outside, like even now, I feel like I still am learning like a lot more every time I go outside. There's something that I can do better or something that like, oh man, if I figured that out 30 minutes ago, I maybe would have sent the boulder sort of thing. Um, and it's more of a, for me at least, like a tactics thing. Like how do I apply like all the strength that I built basically specifically to outdoor bouldering? Because um, there's certain things where you can't just train your way out of the climb some of the positions that you have to do on these v16 or 17 project that's really hard <laughs> you know you train by trying the move or train by like just the punching the clock you can't really train by doing more one arms or something yeah i can see how that would just be so highly specialized up there and even you know even to scale it down to somebody like myself it's a v5 boulder on a good day there's just so much to be gleaned from getting on a block or getting on a route, I'm more of a route climber and working those moves. But sometimes there's a move, like for me, there was like this kind of undercling move on this thing that I did last year that was really hard for me. And so I kind of set a replica, like on my little spray wall in the basement and I set a little, little bit harder than what it was on the route, you know, a little yeah. bit further up, a little bit thinner of a hold and kind of worked that. So then when I got out there, it felt a little bit easier. And so that's less about, I guess, lifting weights or hanging on a board and more about kind of getting into replica, you know, Will Bosey on Burden of Dreams type stuff to, to a much cheaper extent because I wasn't scanning holds. But I found that helpful. And that's probably because I just couldn't get out to the route because it's a couple hours away yeah. and, you know, with kids and family and that kind of thing. But for you, have you found sounds like you're not doing anything like that right now, but you have had these phases, these chapters where you've done weight training or maybe where you've worked out more in the gym on set problems or the board. What are the takeaways, you know, from those chapters for you? Or is it just a realization that just getting outside is the best thing for you? So kind of a bit of both of those. While I don't think it's maybe the greatest thing for me to do right now, and like I'm still trying to basically get my climbing bank out outside, you know, better climbing literacy, you know, figuring out how to just like figure a boulder out as fast as possible. The phases I went through in the gym when I was training basically from eight years old to 19 years old, like all of those cycles that I did in some capacity or the other were extremely beneficial and they like got me to where I'm at right now. But it's just the type of training that like I need right now is not that I don't think I could be wrong. Maybe I go into the gym again and get really strong and be like, oh, well, climbing's even easier now. <laughs> like all these projects that were hard <laughs> feel even easier, sick. Like I, I could be wrong, but. Yeah, I mean, you're, you feel you're objectively less strong on typical kind of feats of strength that one might measure at the gym, but you're obviously climbing much harder than you've ever climbed in your life. So I feel stronger um, on the It's wall. working for you. And I had Chris Sharma on the show not too long ago and very similar was, you know, he went through small phases of kind of quote unquote training, like off the wall training, but for him, the training's on the wall. If you're climbing a, a 15C, 
over and over again, you're going to be getting quite fit and quite strong in those positions on the route. Yeah. And I think that's great. Not everybody has the proximity or the ability to get outside, but it is incredibly beneficial when you can. You mentioned not hangboarding and never hangboarding. There's a ton of emphasis that's put on finger strength with relation to how hard one might be able to climb. And if you can hang X pounds, then you should be able to climb Y grade and this kind of thing. Uh, how important do you feel is finger strength when it comes to climbing hard? I mean, obviously it's important. It's half your contact with the wall, you know, but I'm, I may get flamed for this. I really don't think it's that important. I guarantee there's going to be a lot of people listening to this who can hang a lot more weight than I can, you know, pound for pound. Hmm. And even it was like two years ago that I was even able to hang the middle beast maker edge with one arm, you know, and I don't even think I can hang a 10 millimeter with one arm. No weight right now. I don't, I don't even know if I could do 15 millimeter. No weight right now. Just like open hand, you know, it's one of those things where like I see on Instagram, like all these people like deadlifting, like 300 pounds, like off the middle edge or doing crazy, like one arm hangs on this. And for me, I'm like, wow. I can't do that. There's no way I could do that. It's funny. I think my weakest link actually is my fingers, but it's just one of those things where like, like I can think of a couple climbs here where I'm like, yeah, I should probably actually hangboard and train my fingers before that, like go through a month cycle and then it'll just be easier. But even still, like some of those climbs that I thought that last year, I went back and did in a session this year. I was like, oh wow. Like, you know, I never thought I'd be able to do this climb because it's like just the nastiest scrims. Like I thought I'd have to like specifically train for it. And turns out wasn't that, you know. So what is it then? If, if it's not the finger strength, what is it that allows you to climb V16s, 15s, and 14s at uh, an incredibly high clip where maybe your fingers are objectively the weakest part of your toolkit? Because I think everything else in my toolkit is really strong. And so part of the thing with like my Sen Colorado, you know, there's a lot of climbers who like, oh, I don't like that climb. Like that's going to be really hard for me. Oh, it's it's too reachy. You know, and for a while I was like, it's too reachy. That's a challenge. Oh, yeah, we'll see about that, you know. And there's been like so many climbs here where I'm like, oh, cool. I have the shortest ascent by like a few inches. Like even Daniel Woods, you know he's got six inches of reach on me and like that makes kind of a difference on some of these climbs. And I think having that, it's more the fact that I won't just do V14 or V15 on like micro crimps. I'll do it on compression or underclings or like any style or combination of styles. I don't care. They all feel the same at this point. So I think that's the, hmm. the biggest thing where it's, I don't have to rely on my fingers to get myself up the wall. Like I can figure out something around it that'll work. Hell yeah, man. I love that. It's very uncomfortable for a lot of people to push outside of their strengths and what they would kind of quote unquote consider to be their style or embrace their anti-style. In fact, I did an entire podcast with Cameron Hurst on anti-style and the benefits of that. And it is impressive how well-rounded you are. Body tension was something that you brought up. And when we see the climbs that you're doing and that even I'm trying to do, I mean, it's very scalable how important body tension is to keep those feet on the holds, whether you're on a moon board or you're climbing an overhung sport route at the red like I am, or these cutting edge boulders like you've been doing. Is there a way to 
work on body tension that you found to be helpful for you in your training or your climbing? I think like front levers all around are like one of the best exercises for core. Ground core is like good if you want to get a burn and get a six pack, but something about having your entire body engaged when you're hanging there. As a shorter climber, having that level of core where I need to like keep myself close into the wall to be able to reach footholds and stuff, that's really important. And yeah, kind of, I guess you're probably going to see the theme of my climbing is learn by doing, you know. Over time, you just get enough different moves under your belt, enough different types of moves under your belt. Just helps. You can see stuff and apply it to other climbs without even realizing it. Oh, I've done this kind of move before. I can do it. Let's shift our, our sights towards nutrition now. And I'm curious, has there been a struggle for you in the nutrition area of your climbing life? No, that is one of the things that like, I literally just don't really pay attention to. Like, I don't follow a diet or anything. Like, I barely even use supplements at this point. Like, the only supplement I really use is, uh, like, just protein and, I guess, a lot of caffeine. I think caffeine is, like, so good. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's great. Let's explore that. You know, sometimes on these chapters, it's a whole thing. It's somebody who's been struggling with disordered eating or obviously the pressures that can be put on competitive climbers are a little bit more uh, acute than uh, a big wall climber, for example. And so you never really know what you're getting into in the nutrition chapter here, yeah. but let's just go where where you take it. And first I want to unpack, before we get into caffeine, which I'm fascinated mm -hmm. with, and so I want to understand how you're using caffeine, but you mentioned that you don't really have a specific diet. You don't think much about it. Do you think about your weight at all? Do you track changes in your body composition? Like, how do you look at just being in a strength to weight ratio sport? How, how do you look at that side, the nutrition, as well as just, you know, what you're carrying around with regard to muscle or weight? So, like I was saying, when I like lifted a lot when I was younger, um, it's always been like pretty hard for me to put on muscle, all things considered. And when I was in my heavy lifting phases, when, you know, more than half the time I'd spent training was in a weight room and throwing up sets and stuff, I was eating so much just because it was like, I need to fuel myself. Otherwise, I'm going to get injured. And knock on wood, I've never been injured ever. Nothing that well more than four days to recover from, like just a minor tweak. And I attribute that geez. to, you know, properly fueling myself the entire time growing up like making sure to train all these antagonistic muscles where, you know, like my shoulders or whatever, like I spend so much time in the weight room, just like building up all the structure around here that like, I don't ever get worried really that I'd get injured. I mean, freak stuff can happen, you know, but for the most part, I would just stuff my face with as much protein and steaks and chicken and rice as I could basically and broccoli, just like your classic bodybuilders diet. And I don't do that anymore. Part of the reason I don't need the extra calories because I'm not lifting, but I go by feel for the most part. That's, yeah, what I was saying, a common theme. I feel like I've been very in tune with my body basically the entire time I was growing up and into now. And so for the most part, it's like I eat when I get hungry. I eat when I feel like I should eat. I don't know. I don't track how much. I don't know how much I weigh. If I had to guess, I'm probably 135, but maybe I'm 130, maybe I'm 140. I don't really know. I feel strong and that's all that matters. So I love it. That's great, man. What about junk, guilty pleasures, 
fuel at the crag, gummy worms. Oh, hell yeah, dude. I love Sour Patch Kids. And recently I've been getting really into these like nerd rope gummies. Yes, hundred percent. They're so good. It's I don't know. Obviously, like if I'm sitting on the couch or whatever, I'm not going to eat as much candy. But if I'm outside, I'm like, damn, I'm doing a lot of work. I'm building landings. I just had a day where I moved thirty thousand pounds of rock. Yeah, give me some candy. <laughs> you know, I need quick energy. Yeah. Have you had the little? It's like it's like the nerd rope, but they're like balls. They're like little- yeah. That's what I'm talking about. They're so good. Those are like my new go-to. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, for the most part, I really like like a chili lime, like Takis, Dinamatas, like Hot Cheetos. Those are like my yeah. guilty pleasure. My girlfriend's always like, are you getting like another bag of those? And I'm like, Dude, I'm out. Like I need more. They're so good. <laughs> and it's kind of weird. This might branch into something else, but like the mindset behind stuff, you know, I'm sure you saw some of my freakouts on the YouTube series we just dropped and you know, part of why we made that is because I feel like I was kind of going through one the last couple of years. It felt like there was so much pressure from sponsors, whether that actually existed or not, like so much pressure that I was putting on myself to like do these boulders so I could keep doing more boulders that it kind of just like started taking the love out of climbing for me. And the less mm-hmm. pressure I like put on myself, you know, it's so cliche, but there are times where like, you know, I'll eat so healthy or I would at least and just track everything and be like, okay. Hey, I feel like I perfectly optimized everything. And then I go out and climb. And if the session isn't going well, it starts like fucking with my head a bit. I'm like, oh man, like I did everything perfect. Why am I not climbing better? And now at least I just don't care as much. It's I'm just going outside and having a great time. If I send great, I know I can. If I don't send whatever, tomorrow's another day. Like, you know, yeah, sure. Like. I'll have a beer the night before, eat some candy. doesn't really matter as long as my mindset going into the day is like, I'm psyched. I'm going to have a great time trying this boulder. I climb so much better than, you know, all my notepad. I got 27 grams of carbs and like 13.5 grams of protein. That never worked for me. And the less I can put pressure on myself, the more I can detach, the better I do. And that's kind of why I don't really track my weight or care about nutrition. Long story short. Thank you. No, thank you for that perspective. I think that's that's a fresh perspective. I've done a lot of these interviews and of course, different personalities respond to different things. Some people really like tracking everything and keeping diaries and, and it gives them like kind of a sense of a, a plan and a blueprint. Uh, but it's easy, especially in the nutrition kind of chapter here. It's a, it can be a slippery slope and to relieve some pressure and some control in one part of your life and just embrace the fun and the stoke. If somebody at your level can do it, certainly people at my level and those who are listening can do it. So I, I appreciate the perspective. Uh, you, you mentioned caffeine, so I do yeah. want to talk about that before we shift gears over to the tactics chapter. And yeah, I'm curious how you use caffeine as a climber or just how it fits into your life. I mean, there's nothing special about it. I usually have a couple cups of black coffee in the morning. Get me going. It's kind of my nice thing. I just go upstairs. I will say the one nutrition thing, it's not even a thing, but... I just love avocado toast with an over easy egg on top. That's been like, I yeah. just I just really like it. So it's a nice routine for me to be in. Wake up in the morning, same, you know, flipping the eggs, all sorts of thing, and then start my coffee and then eat it, go downstairs and start homework basically. And so it's just a nice routine to get in. And then I'll usually have a, not like a energy drink, but they're like these pre-workout drinks, like zero sugar, 
it's you know instead of just having a powder drink you just have one of these and there's 300 sure. 200 to 300 milligrams of caffeine in those and i usually just drink one when i'm on the way to the cliff it's another mini routine i have i'll just be blasting music getting all psyched drinking this drink and then i get to the parking lot and i'm like i'm outside i'm gonna go climbing hell yeah and it's kind of getting that mindset game going All right, y'all, just a quick breather here to opine for a second, if I could, on the notion of mentorship in climbing. Every time I talk with somebody like Drew or the other thoughtful guests that we've had here on the show, I just imagine how much could be gleaned by spending more time with them on and off the rock, which is why, oh man, I'm really psyched to share that we now do have the opportunity to have a pro as a mentor and it just so happens to be one of our favorite guests here at The Struggle, the only climber to have done three episodes with me, big wall badass and all-around crusher, Jordan Cannon. Now, I recently got to spend some time with Jordan projecting at The Red, and I learned so much from him. He's just got such a talent, you guys, for distilling concepts down in a way that makes sense whatever level you climb at. And now, thanks to our friends over at Shared Air, which is a new sponsor here at The Struggle, you can have Jordan as your climbing mentor this spring. Starting March 1st, Jordan and Shared Air are going to be holding a four-month program custom-made for a max of just 30 climbers. Climbers who will become a community, a band of brothers and sisters over the course of your time together. You can choose between two tracks, outdoor foundations or trad climbing, whichever one interests you the most or you want to work on, and then clip in for an immersive journey, y'all. The program includes a master class, personal Zoom courses, five clinics in Colorado, plus a private Slack channel so you can have Jordan in your pocket 24-7. And he's a really fun dude, so I can't imagine a better pocket pal than him. And just for us strugglers, Jordan and Shared Air are offering a $300 discount on this program. Just use code STRUGGLE to snag yourself this deal at sharedair.com. That's S-H-A-Y-R-D-A-I-R.com. The link is right there in your show notes. This is such a cool and rare opportunity. If you're looking to take your climbing to new heights, learn more at sharedair.com. Shared Air, where climbing lives. All right, let's get back to this chat with Drew. So I want to explore what you feel are maybe the most important tactical lessons that you've learned up to this point. But first, struggle. Always struggle. And where have you struggled tactically? The tactic struggle, like I wouldn't really call it a struggle. I just call it like one of those things that you incrementally get better at. So like looking back in the past, I look at some of the things I like did for trying boulders and I'm like, what was going through my head? You know, like there's a few tactics I think that I've like stumbled into or whatever that happened to really work well. And it's more of like a personal thing, I guess. It's kind of hard to like... You know, like there's tactics of like, go when it's in the shade, make sure the weather's good, brush your holds, file your skin, you know, things like that, where it's like, those are kind of just givens, like they're not too like complex, you know? Sure. The two tactics that I think really upped my climbing game for the most part, and not just in terms of like, I feel stronger, but like, oh man, I just had this week where I like sent everything, you know? Um, those sorts of tactics, like one of them, um, it's kind of like an abstract way of thinking about it, but I believe for every person out there, there is, especially for bouldering, there is a sequence of boulders you can do 
you don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. It's up to you to like figure it out, you know? But there's a sequence of boulders where if you try those boulders in that order, you're going to get a lot stronger. It's like some boulders I try and basically, you know, can't do them, write them off sort of thing. Go back next season, still can't do them. Go back the season after, now they're easy because of all the strength that I built up. And so there's, that's why like I'll have some of these weeks where I just like send everything because like I've tried these boulders before. They were really hard for me before, but I waited for the right time when everything was built up. Skin's good. I'm on like an up cycle. Like my body just feels better, like less stressed because of say there's no school going on or whatever. Weather's perfect. I'm psyched because I already sent one of my projects and I'm like, oh yeah, let's carry this momentum, you know? And that's where like the right time to try those boulders comes in. Because sometimes it's like, it's rare for me to just walk up to like a V15 and do it in a day. I've done it a couple times, you know, but it's, that's still like really, really big for me. If I'm like, oh man, I've never tried this. I just did it in a day. V14 in a day. I think half of the V14s I've done, I did in one sesh or something. Oh shit. But a lot of the other ones, some of them that are like really reachy or like really hard for me just because of the way they are. Those ones, at least I try them, try different projects, come back when I feel like more psyched at the right time. And then, yeah, it's like I already have the beta. I know what to do. Just every other factor lined up. And that's why I'm trying that boulder right now. Yeah, that's interesting. So is it conscious in that you're maybe on something and there's a certain movement that you're having trouble with. And then you say, well, let me go project some other boulders that have a similar movement at a lower grade and that'll build up this faculty and I'll come back. Or is it less uh, kind of structured in that sense and uh, more about just psych and kind of riding like a wave of some other sends or coming back with fresh eyes? More the latter. There's definitely times where, you know, some bold, like Railway, for example, this really nasty, crimpy V15 in Colorado. I tried that thing three summers ago and then two summers ago and then last summer. And I never put more than like a couple days. Yeah, I put two or three days each summer into it. And I'd just be like, dude, this is, I never stuck the first move. This is so hard, you know. And then I just try other stuff and wait for the day where, you know, my fingers aren't that much stronger. Maybe they're like, you know, a couple percent stronger or whatever. But that's enough where it's like you don't, at this level at least, you don't really need that much. Like the line between not sending and sending is so razor thin that sometimes you just get a little bit stronger. Maybe it's not even in your fingers. It's like in your back or whatever. But it compensates just a little bit. And then all of a sudden that climb went from feeling impossible to like, oh, wow, I just did that thing in 20 minutes. What? Like I'd never even done that move before. And that's kind of more the thing I think where it's just waiting for the right moment to try the climb and that's part of the reason why I've been able to do as many climbs like this is because I know when to step back from it and be like this will go it's not going right now so let me just wait for it to get a little better that takes some discipline and some maturity but I love it because I do think that it, it can be a little bit of a, a trap uh, for for climbers of any grade I've been there myself on one of my first 5.11s where you just don't want to move on until you put the darn thing down. And you do seem to have uh, uniquely that perspective where you'll just come back to it. Hey, it's not going anywhere. Let me go do something else for a while. Has there been a time where you've been sucked into a project for far too long and, <laughs> yeah. you know, looking back on it, think that maybe you, you could have walked away a little bit sooner? 
Megatron. Um, that's been the extension. Megatron I had eighty. I have eighty days in that thing now. Um, and my hype, my best try was on session like twenty two. You know, back in twenty twenty, like a few years ago, and like. I almost did it that try. I, I was up there with Daniel that day and we were just trying it and, you know, figured out the start. It's a really cold day. It's like perfect weather and, you know, doing moves. I'm like, holy shit, like I'm fucking doing this thing, you know? And then I like popped off one of the moves and was like, oh, dude, that was like 20 days in to trying this thing. Oh my God, I can do this. And uh, it's going to go. Right. Yeah. And then I like kept throwing myself at it, kept not doing it. The next season I went back and I was so psyched. I started going there right when school started in end of August. And so it's 90 degrees in the canyon in El Dorado. And I'm just like working it with like really bad weather. I think I did it from like three moves in or four moves in or something that season. But I get like 30 days in that season. And by the end of it, I'm like, when the weather starts getting good, I'm so burned out from trying it. Cause I'm like, dude, it's been awful. Like, <laughs> just falling on this thing like i'm sick of this and then last season i waited a lot longer to start trying it. i waited until the end of november and then two days mm -hmm. into trying it i matched my high point like sick dude i might do this thing that felt so good proceed to fall there five times a session for you know five eight more days or something and then i was like you know, i think the first bit of that climb might v16 on its own into the v14 stand it's it's really nasty and you know the first couple seasons i was trying it i can count on one hand the number of times i made it through that section and then hmm. last season i was making it through that section every try it felt like from the bottom it was just like yeah this doesn't feel hard anymore but i just couldn't do it wow and at least this season like i have this other v17 project i'm actually going to it later today um that been like getting pretty close on and you know as soon as this one's done it's like yeah probably just start fucking around with megatron again i know i can do it it's just one of those yeah. maybe i shouldn't have put as much time as i did into it back then because those 80 days you know maybe if i started trying it seriously now it would have been like 15 days or so 10 days i, I don't know Thank you for, for, for sharing that. This gets us into the mental game, but I'm, I'm happy to shift into mental game because it kind of toggles between tactics and mental anyway. They're kind of two sides to the same coin. Yeah. But I'm curious on Megatron, just to stay on that theme for a second, we can move on to some other things as well. I think I heard an interview with you on Aiden Roberts' podcast, and you were, I think, kind of talking through the Megatron sections and if I'm remembering correctly, essentially the high point or the move that you've popped off of is not the hardest move or the hardest climbing on the rock. And you were attributing it to essentially maybe a, some sort of mental crux or a mental block. Is that, am I remembering that correctly? Yeah. Like the move I popped off on in the high point, I don't know how familiar you are with the climb at least, but there's this big move. I've seen some videos. Yeah. So, you know, the bump move off the yeah. cling. From there, you have to shift yep. your left hand up a little. And I figured out since better beta to do it. Um, but the times I was trying it, I would do this like basically like kip, go weightless and just bump my hand up basically because I needed to put my heel where my hand sure. was. And that move at least, like I literally would warm up by doing that move. And so it was one of those, you just have to do it timing perfect. And if you do, 
Mm. It's easy. But if you don't do it, it doesn't feel hard. You just fall. And it's just a strange move like that. But the beta I found now just feels a bit better. So I'm, I'm really excited to go back this season. It's the first year I've been like more confident on it. And there's nothing to figure out. I just got to do the climb at this point. Well, yeah, this brings up kind of this aspect of climbing that I think at some point in time we're all faced with. It could be something at the gym. It could be something on the moon board. It could be something out, you know, cutting edge that's outside, like in your case with Megatron, where we ask ourselves, is it worth it? You know, is it worth continuing to go after this one? And how important is it to me? And you, I pulled a quote from you specific to Megatron. You said, I've never had a climb win, best me. And this one is. And of course, you haven't sent it yet. It sounds like you're psyched to, to get back there, but is it okay to just say, yeah, you know, I'm done with that one or I don't like that one? Or do you have trouble with unfinished business? I think both those points are right. I It's totally okay to be like, it's not fucking worth it. Like, I'm sick of that climb. You know, like it's for whatever reason, I don't even want to do it anymore. But I can't, I cannot personally do that. And this is kind of where it comes down to the thing I was talking about, where it's a uh, wait for the right moment, you know? And for me, I'm like, that climb won round one and round two and round three. Maybe it'll rip, win round four. I don't know. But I'm going to go back anyway. So we'll see. Do you still get joy out of the idea of going back to this? Or does it feel more like you just need to get it done and you're pissed at it? And then you'll be done and move on. Old Drew a year ago would have been pissed at it. I think new Drew now is like with this renewed sort of viewpoint on my climbing at least is more like psyched for the process. I used to not be psyched on the process on things. I mean, to a degree still, it, it can get frustrating. I'm just going to go to the same climb again and tear my finger open again, like right. whoopee, you know? <laughs> but at the same time, this is kind of what I signed up for, so might as well have some fun with it. So that, that brings back a point that you mentioned a little bit earlier in our conversation, which is kind of some of the freakouts, you know, that that you've had, some of the moments of frustration yeah. making themselves apparent when maybe a sequence of climb and attempt doesn't go the way that you want. And how have you handled that? Those feelings, again, I think are very universal. Whatever grade somebody climbs at, it can be, you know, just a real kick in the teeth to not do the thing that maybe you know you can, or in some instances that your friends have done and you feel like you should be able to do as well. And, you know, there's that emotion comes up because we care, but also there's various kind of a, a spectrum of, of healthy to unhealthy ways to deal with that. And I think it seems like you've, you've gone through a bit of a journey here, just based on what you just said there about trying to find joy in the process. So um, what have you learned about those emotions that we've seen a bit of on, you know, your videos? Honestly, you know, everyone's joking about that, that white chalk bag sort of thing from the distortion. But like that climb was, you know, so frustrating. I could only climb like every other day on that thing. So I just get so wrecked and I'd get one try every two days. And if I fucking blew it, I was like, I was too pumped to try again, you know? And so I'm like, yeah, you know, that, that level of frustration where I'm like, this is now the 20th day I have fallen on this fucking move. And now I'm going to be thinking about this for the next two days until I wake up in leave my house at 4.30 in the morning to get there when it's cold and do the same warm-up and do the same moves I've done a million times 
to fall on the same move again and then rinse and repeat. So that process specifically, there's a lot more behind the scenes that, you know, people only see the worst of the worst, you know, we kind of, kind of were doing that on purpose, but at the same time, it was, you know, it, it was so frustrating. I was like, man, I'm so close to doing this climb, like back to letting climbs go. Alpine climbs are a bit different because you have three months out of the year that you can do it. And then sure. Lincoln Lake is covered in 20 feet of snow. Like when November rolls around, you, know, so you don't really have an option of, at least for some of those Alpine climbs, your option is I'm doing it this year or I'm waiting until next summer. In that climb, I was like, I'm so sick of this cave. I want to be done with this cave and then I can never do the same move again. Cause part of like sending Colorado is like all these link ups, they are a climb. Like, you know, I don't really want to do it, but it's good for you, that sort of thing. And so right. that, that level of frustration, I probably could have hand, no, I could have handled it a lot better, but having that be like the third year in a row that I was going to the same cave doing the same moves that I had done, but just somehow not doing that combination of moves and then just getting so blasted pumped that like, cool, I'm shot for two more days. Great, you know, that wasn't fucking worth it. I didn't learn anything. I just fell on the same move again. Right. Great, that was something for sure. And looking back, I think the only thing I should have done differently was actually walk away and try something else, you know. Probably would have been a lot better for the psych and that's what I ended up doing. Um, there was the ice knife as well. Um, that one was a bit different because of I specifically seeked out that boulder because I knew it was going to be really hard for me. What I didn't know was that it was going to fillet my finger open more likely than not. And so that one was like an actual, uh, if I fall because my finger is not split, but gouged out, you know? that's going to impact my climbing for the next two weeks, you know, like I'm going to have to tape for two more weeks. Like, and so it's this like gamble, like rolling the dice, you know, I'm like, is it going to go this try? Is it worth it? Cause this is going to impact how the next bit of climbing goes. And that was pretty frustrating to deal with until I figured out that new beta finally. And it's harder that way, but at least it didn't fuck my finger up. Yeah, that's a cool progression of videos that, you know, that, that edit that you put out was really cool. The ice nap, you could see how the beta shifted and how you worked around that. And it was a very well done video. And so, you know, you now, you've sent so many like super hard things. Some of them have taken many, many days. Some of them quite quickly, like you said, about half of the V14s you've done in a session, which is mind boggling. I'm curious as somebody who myself speaking here, I want to get stronger as a boulderer because I know that it will help me on my sport routes. And that's just kind of objectively my weakest link. I've got endurance. I just don't have a whole lot of, you know, I don't know, contact strength and that full body tension and these kinds of things. And one of the things that I struggle with mentally is trying a, a, a move that is, you know, going to be a hard move on a, you know, whatever, maybe it's like a V6 I'm trying to get on or on the moon board, maybe it's a V4 or whatever, but it feels pretty limit or it feels impossible. And I'll try it maybe, I don't know, three times, four times. And then I'll just be like, well, this climb's not for me. And I'll move on to something else where, you know, people like yourself and cutting edge boulderers will do the same move hundreds of times. And seemingly without any friggin' progress at all, but somehow, you know, 
or I'm not sure what it is that it may happen or it will come together or that you're capable of it. And can you like quantify that somehow? Like I, I'm just, I'm trying to understand how I can get from giving up after trying a move three times and just being like, well, that's stopper. I can't do it to maybe trying it 50 times or 20 times. And then maybe it happens. Yeah. Um, you know how I said there's two tactics and I talked about one of them. I kind of forgot about bringing the other one up and this segued right back into that. First things first, three tries. Those are rookie numbers. You got to pump those numbers up. But part of it is... So demoralizing. <laughs> well, the way in which you try the move. Like, I can throw myself at a move every single time, you know, trying the exact same beta. If you're just, like, throwing yourself at it without, like, consciously thinking about why you're doing what you're doing, it's probably not going to work, you know? <laughs> but the way I kind of go about it is especially for boulders or whatever when you're like trying to string together a sequence of like really hard moves like each move is like a little puzzle piece and there are foot moves that you have to think about in between each move and sometimes you know if I go to the side pull from down low I'm going to catch it in a different position than if I pull on the wall from right here like all these subtleties mm. about how these moves connect together basically like if you're trying a limit move like, you also need to think about how you get into that move from down lower and how you're going to get out of that move. Because there have been a lot of climbs where, like, you know, I'll figure out a move and I'm like, cool, I'm trapped now. I can't do anything. Or, man, it's even harder to get out of this position versus doing it this other way where this move is harder, but I'm set up better for the remainder of the climb. Sure. And that's, it's kind of like a scientific method sort of thing. If you're trying something, like... I guess scientific method on a gradient, not to get too technical with it, but say you have four different betas for the same move that you're like kind of playing with. And you're not sure which one is the best, like which one feels like you're the most likely to do and which one, not just that as well, but which one feels like it will help for the entire climb. Because there, yeah, like I was saying, mm -hmm. there's times where it's, I could do the move easier this way, but then I'm fucked. I'm stuck. I can't do anything. That That's something to consider as well. And when you bring up, you know, pros or whatever, trying a move a hundred times, part of that is basically feeling up that gradient and just being like, okay, like I touched the hold. I know what the hold is. Maybe I didn't stick it that time, but I know if I stick it just right, I can hold it or so and then trying it a few more times and then like oh that try you know i stopped for a second like it goes you know like i didn't fully do the move but it was there and then coming back the next day and like already having that feeling of so i know what was really close last time i'm gonna start there because that's what your best shot is already and right for harder boulders you're doing that process on the entire boulder at the same time like all these different sections and then You'll get one move down and you're like, cool, let's add some moves into it, you know? Oh man, that all of a sudden changed that move up. But same, same exact process, basically. We'll kind of wrap things up here with talking about purpose, things that you're passionate about that go beyond climbing, but also a little bit in climbing because there's a couple of things we haven't talked about that I want to work in here as well. But we did start this conversation talking about school. You're in the midst of it right now. Switched majors recently. You seem to be pretty hyped on that. What do you think your future is going to look like? What do you want your climbing life, professional life balance to look like? I, this is something I've been thinking about 
a lot recently, actually. I will go insane, I think, if I don't have something going on. While school can be like really challenging, you know, the structure that it provides and like having to work around that structure and be as efficient as possible, it works really well for me. Even though it's, damn, it's so hard. Like I almost do better when I have a lot of stuff going on because then I'm, I just have to be very punctual with and efficient with how I do it. Sure. You can't climb 12 hours a day. Maybe you can one day a week. I can't, you know, I climb for like two hours a session and then I'm like, cool, I'm done. Short and sweet. And, you know, if we're talking about being a pro climber, I'm like, cool, there's what an hour drive tops, a couple hours of climbing. So we're looking at five hours, six hours out of your day. What are you going to do with the remaining 12 before you go to sleep or whatever? 10 might as well work, be productive, like something like that. Um, And so that's where part of the reason why I'm getting this degree, even though it started as like a backup, if pro climbing didn't work out. More and more, I'm being like, well, damn, if I can get a remote job that works, one, being a pro doesn't really pay all too much. And so having a CS degree already makes that a lot more attractive where it's like, cool, I can actually save up to buy a house instead of, you know, it's just pro climbing is not that lucrative. But right overall as well, it's like I've already been able to balance this with school. And I don't imagine a job would be like, all too different in terms of like time commitment especially a remote one like when you know probably spend close to eight hours a day doing school stuff what's different between that and a job now school's school's harder than work (laughs) at least in my experience i I think school school tends to be a little bit more of a time suck and it's just there's constant challenge whereas on a job you've got your toolkit you can usually kind of settle into a bit of a routine and a flow and it's not throwing you a lot of curveballs yeah. like school can. Sometimes, though, sometimes it's exciting. There's yeah. some, some big problem that needs to be solved. But that's cool. So you see yourself, you know, striking that balance. I had Michaela Kirsch on the show just recently. And, and similarly, she, you know, was got her master's in occupational therapy. And so was always juggling climbing with school and now is an OT, but kind of sets her hours. She considers herself like a substitute teacher OT. So she can kind of choose the days she wants to work, choose the days she wants to climb. And that seems to have struck a very nice balance for her. And similarly, it seems like you're lining yourself in into a career that will allow flexibility for the climbing life that you want. Yeah. And kind of just having things on my own terms has always been the best for me. As well as that, I kind of touched on this. I've been working on like a couple books, like stacking that on with everything else has been hard. I mean, who works on a couple books? People sometimes work on a book. What, so can you share a little bit more about what you got cooking? One of them is basically about like how to project boulders. I feel like cool. I know a little bit about that, but yeah, like kind of <laughs> breaking everything up, you know, both of them are like everything I feel like I've ever learned through climbing, I'm trying to at least, but one of them is more like a kind of holistic, like as like a newer climber or a climber who's been climbing for a while, like how do you continually push yourself to the next level? Like it's one thing to hire a coach who will prescribe some plan. If they're a good coach, they'll like give you a good plan. If they're not, they're just like, oh yeah, do your five by five sort of thing, whatever, get protein, you know. But overall, there's ways you can approach climbing and things you can do that will help you get stronger and stronger as time goes on. That's kind of that book, at least. I'm like a lot closer to being done with it, at least just the getting my thoughts onto the page sort of thing. Um, 
Sick. And then, yeah, the outdoor climbing one for bouldering is like all these small little tactics. You know, if we're talking micro beta, you know, you have two footholds, one here and one here. Like, how do you generally, generalize speaking, like, how do you figure out the best beta or whatever? Like, how do you go out when it's the right time? How do you find the best beta on your climb? What if it snows, you know? Your week is going to be ruined if you don't do something about it. You won't be able to try that climb for another week. You know, let's be efficient with it sort of thing. And so those two books or whatever, it's all informational. My goal is for them to be uh, one, you could like read through it basically and get something out of it. Two, I want it to also be a reference to come back to as well in the future if you feel like you need something for it. And three... I want them to be as applicable to a V4 climber or a V3 climber who's brand new as a V12 climber, for example, who's been stuck at a plateau for a decade, you know. Overall speaking, that's kind of what I'm going for with these two. But yeah, I was going really hard on them last spring and I got like probably 250 pages of stuff down in a couple months and then I just burned out really hard. It was like, man, I'm doing too much right now between climbing professionally and full-time school and writing two fucking books. God damn it. I need a break. (laughs) And so, yeah, I'm like starting to get back into them right now. It's just one of those things where, you know, it's hard to do everything as well. And I'd like to continue to put out stuff like that and uh, do a lot more of this like longer form, like YouTube series, like mini doc sort of thing. Yeah, totally. Well, I, I'm, I'm psyched on the books. I can't wait to devour those when they come out. We'll have you back on. We can talk through them. But um, I know that's a hell of a process. Uh, my wife's a writer and, and it's it just, you know, it's just so much work, but it's an incredibly valuable resource. I just talked with Dave McLeod. He's obviously written a couple, um, I think, very uh, well-researched and, and very useful climbing books himself. And it, they're great resources for the community. So so thanks for the work that you're putting in on it. Stay psyched because we need it. But then YouTube, you just brought up, which is fantastic. I think you're putting together great content there. You're telling stories. What's the hope and the dream there? What's the plan on YouTube? I have like so many ideas right now. It's kind of even hard to like figure out what's next. Um, like I could tell documentaries about like specific boulders or like a documentary about, you know, there's this one canyon, uh, Coal Creek in Colorado. I think I've done like maybe 15 like really hard FAs in there. Most of my climbs are still unrepeated, you know, but we could easily make an hour plus doc about just like establishing a bunch of climbs there. There's like a mountain I've been developing with a couple of buddies, you know, we could easily make a doc about, you know, establishing a mountain, like doing that stuff in the future as well. You know, when I'd run out of climbs to do in Colorado, which is realistically probably going to happen soon ish i spend a lot of time google mapsing just like whoa look at these you know and i have so many areas pinned where i look online and there's zero not even talked about that someone like explored there and so being able to like you know work on a climbing project that isn't a climb it's like a thousand climbs in an area and like building trails and landings and you know like that's It'd be pretty fun too. Sick. <laughs> Hell yeah. Well, this is perfect kind of a segue into, you know, climb the state. You're, as you said, you may be nearing the end. Of course, there's never really an end because you'll just Google map some new area and you'll be like, oh God, there's 10 V17s in there. But, <laughs> you know, essentially, I've got, you got the whiteboard behind you there. You're at 
now hundreds of climbs, V14, V15, V16, working on V17s. It's pretty friggin' mega. What's the, what's the burn there? What's the fire about Climb Colorado? And when do you think that project will kind of feel complete and you'll start to maybe want to say Climb California <laughs> or Climb South Africa? I mean, part of the Climb Colorado thing was like, I'm, I knew I was going to be stuck here for a few years because of school stuck, you know? Oh no, I'm stuck here. Right. But overall, it was like, well, I'm going to be in the state for at least four years, maybe more. It's always been better for me to have stuff that is a little too big, but maybe possible, you know? If I was just sure. trying to get psyched on one specific climb, like, I probably would have burned out already. I mean, it's ha every time I, like, put or every time I had put a ton of effort into just one climb, like a burnout basically. Um, mm. But yeah, with the Sun Colorado, it was just like, well, this way there's always more stuff to try. If I get pissed off at this one climb or whatever, or if I split my finger open on this one climb, I can just go try the one right down the street, you know? There's hundreds yeah. to try and they're all hard. And I think part of that too, going back to the building your anti-style sort of thing, I'm like, well, if I try and do everything, like I'm going to have to do it at some point, so might as well do it, you know? Um, I'm not going to shy away from stuff, but mostly it's just all the established ones so far. And like, yeah, it'd be cool to just like basically run through those. And then my whole theory behind it was like, if I send all the established stuff, the only thing left for me to do is to establish stuff, you know? And so it's a lot easier for me to basically do that when what else am I going to do? Yeah. You you do a lot of developing and it's this unsung hero element of climbing. I had a conversation with Jonathan Segrist about this with regard to establishing sport routes is, you know, I'm the kind of guy that benefits from this kind of thing. I get to walk up and there's a nice safe landing or it's cleaned out and I just get to enjoy the climb and then move on to another climb. But for what you're looking to do, which are, you know, V14 plus climbs, there's not a lot of people out there that are developing them. And if you want to do them, you essentially kind of have to do them yourself. Like you said, that maybe most of them are even unrepeated. So you're essentially establishing climbs for yourself and then maybe a handful of people in the future. And it just seems like it's a ton of work. You're moving thousands and thousands of pounds of rock and building out flat landings and this kind of thing. So what, you know, why do you keep coming back to that hard work aspect of establishing these new boulders. I don't know if it sounds egotistical to say, maybe it does. I don't care, but mostly like when I'm doing the landings and stuff, like part of me is like, I feel like a machine right now, dude. I'm like, I'm splitting stones like prison labor. I'm moving deadlifting like 200, 300 pound rocks out and hauling them out of this cave, you know? Like I do it because I want to do that climb and I'd rather have a very nice experience on it where I only need three pads because I got all the bullshit out of the way and so it's nice and flat and I'm not going to break my ankle. I'm not going to go through the pad. I don't need to worry about bashing my back on this rock here or like in the case of Grand Illusion or something like, you know, fucking most famous V16 in the planet now. Like I was there for eight nights in a row breaking stone and hauling it out of that cave because I wanted to do that climb and no one else really cared enough, which is why the rock was all still there. And so it's one of those things where like, 
I do landings like that, partially because other people will benefit from it, but they're going to benefit from the experience that I want on the boulder. And I'd rather have a pleasant experience on it. And if that means I have to like do manual labor, feel like a freak when I'm doing it. <laughs> Great. You know, it's pretty fun at the end. It's some of the landings. I feel like my tactics have gotten a lot better with landings, but some of them, they look natural now. Some of them don't. They're like log landings decks whatever you know it's in the middle of the forest it's all wood anyway <laughs> but the natural ones i'm like really proud when i can get those to work and sometimes i go out with uh like i have a really good buddy here at layton who's just as psyched on landing stuff as me and so sometimes i'm like yo dude i got a landing project and we'll just spend 12 hours <laughs> drill splitting stone you know sometimes they come along getting stuff out of there and it's just fun. I, yeah, mostly I just like having a good experience on it. And some of the climbs, like there's landings where you could do the climb. It's just, you need a lot more pads. And there's some landings where it's like, you can't even try it, you know, like you will get really hurt if you try it or there's rocks like in the way. So what are you going to do about it? Yeah. Hell yeah, man. I really love that. Well, I'm totally inspired by this conversation. I think that awesome. you've proven that, you know, you can have a full-time gig outside of climbing. You can still dedicate yourself to climbing. You can find the psych. You can give back to the sport like you have and and have incredible experiences in nature. And while I'm not going to be doing V14s, I think, anytime soon, I will embrace as much as I can of this Drew Ruana psych and, and get out there and try hard, man. I'm really thankful for the time. I'm so glad we could finally get together and have this conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And man, I want to hear about it. Like, you're trying those climbs. Let me know how it's going. I try and like always reach out to people or respond to messages or whatever just because it's sick like you know someone someone asked me for advice i give it to them and then two months later they're like it worked and for me i'm like oh yeah dude let's go even though i like don't know oh, the yeah. person at all you know it's just like the common love of you know just climbing and getting better at it like it feels good to get better so i'm stoked for you man i hope it goes well <laughs> Oh man, what a great way to kick off 2024. The passion, the drive, the work ethic, and the stoke, and also just kind of like this casual, I don't know, refreshingly healthy relationship that Drew has with climbing. I just, I find it all to be pretty dang inspiring. I hope you enjoyed this one as much as I did. And you know what? If you want to hear more, I just released the bonus episode here where Drew shares his tactics on how to send things quickly. And this is a guy who knows how to send things quickly. He also identifies common plateau levels that we can all hit as we climb up through the grades and how to break through those. And we also get a really thoughtful exploration from him on this concept of downgrading or this trend of downgrading climbs recently, including box therapy and sleepwalker, both of which Drew has done himself. So he's got a really good perspective on those. You can listen to that right now at zero cost, by the way, with a free trial over at patreon.com slash the struggle climbing show. Or if you're an iPhone person, you can get a free trial right there in your podcast app. Along with that trial, by the way, or a membership, if you just want to dive in and support the show, thank you, I love you, you will get instant access to more than 40 hours of other bonus content, including full uncut videos of athlete interviews, pro clinics on topics like how to build stronger fingers with Dr. Tyler Nelson, develop better endurance with Drew Mack, master the moonboard with ravioli biceps, 
or Strength Train with Natasha Barnes. It's all there for just a few bucks a month, or like I said, zero cost right now with that free trial. Check it all out. Thank you for supporting the show. You can quit anytime. There is no obligation. So if you like it, stick around. And if not, then uh, thanks for checking it out. You can follow Drew on Instagram at Drew Ruana and his YouTube channel at Drew underscore Ruana. And you can follow along with me on Insta and YouTube at The Struggle Climbing Show. Huge thanks and appreciation to our show sponsors who have brought you this episode at zero cost. I'm talking about Crimped, Fizzy Vantage, and Shared Air. Y'all are so awesome. Check your show notes for links and special discounts from those guys that are only available to us, the Struggle listeners. Hey, did you know that the Struggle's carbon neutral in partnership with the Honnold Foundation? Man, they are just doing amazing work to bring clean energy to communities around the world. You can learn about and get inspired by their grant recipients over at honnoldfoundation.org. And toss them some love if you can. They're truly doing such impactful and amazing work. And lastly, The Struggle is a proud member of the Plug Tone Audio Collective, a diverse group of the best, most impactful podcasts in the outdoor industry. This show is produced and hosted by me, Ryan Devlin. All right, y'all, that clips the anchors on this episode. Thank you so, so much for tuning in. Look, I'm sure 2024 is going to be a messy mix of struggles and triumphs, and I am right here with you to embrace it all. I hope your training and climbing are going great, and if you are struggling like me, well, just remember, the struggle makes us stronger. <laughs>